Welcome back to Volta Enterprise, the podcast described as the squishy heart at the center of Enterprise IT. This week we're joined by a special guest, Priya Doty. Priya is the global VP of product marketing for IBM's iconic IBM Z or Z brand, depending on which side of the Atlantic you're from. And it's all Linux sister brand, Linux One. But unlike a lot of marketers, um, uh, Priya has also been a developer, which means she also enjoys deconstructing marketing messages by reading technical manuals and seeing where we lied through our teeth. Based in Brooklyn, she is a mum, wife, and author of an upcoming fiction novel, which we should also talk about. So welcome, Priya. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Welcome. Let's talk first, uh, before we get to your book, which I'm very interested about, let's talk first about some actual enterprise IT tech topics, because it's been a few episodes that we haven't really done that. Uh, so the thing Thanks. that's... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the thing that I particularly wanted to talk about was uh, cloud and security in general, because I know that's a major topic for you. It's also something that I think all of us have dabbled in to a greater or lesser extent. And it's certainly a major topic of the day. I literally just got done swearing at an AWS console that wasn't doing what I wanted with uh, VPC groups. So very, very close to my heart right now. So why don't you lead us off? Where do you sit in this whole very wide-ranging conversation of cloud and security? Yeah, I I guess it starts with um, like where I'm at, right? So I think because I'm at IBM, we see a, the customer base, and, and Mike, you probably know this from your travels as well. Our customer base are large enterprises, and um, and that means that for them. Uh, many of them are in regulated industries, whether that's in healthcare um, or financial services or even government, um, or they're just uh, companies that have, you know, a significant IP, significant sensitive data established. So what I guess we're seeing is that, you know, there are customers, they do want the benefits of cloud, but they're still hamstrung by the security posture, the regulatory, the compliance issues um, that moving data into a cloud could uh, create. And, um, you know, that, that's the problem is they, they don't yet feel, most of them, I would say, don't yet feel comfortable putting, you know, the crown jewels in the cloud, so to speak. It's hard for them. I mean, if I were to talk from my experience, I think it's hard for them to see, to get agreement across their organization. And that's really where they get, I would say, almost like hung up or can't get agreement. And that's where they, they just can't, pass and get onto the cloud, even though maybe it's not as strict for them, but they want to be extra reassured, let's say. That, that, that's how I would see it. I, I don't know if you agree, Priya, or not. Yeah, it seems it seems about right, because um, I like the idea of what you're saying about being hamstrung. I mean, you probably really feel it in your um, day job. But yeah, it's. I think it's also like um, it's just the cost and the time of doing the things required to comply with the legal requirements or the regulatory requirements and just feeling like, oh my gosh, do we really have the people uh, to do all this, you know, to even just comply and do all the checks and balances. Um, and then of course there's the, oh gosh, what happens if, you know, an insider does get access to my data? What happens if I'm on the pay, you know, in the front of the paper and, you know, what is that going to mean for um, my team as I have to go manage this, this breach or this issue? Um, so it's, it's like, you know, I don't think IT people in general are, by nature, risky, because that, you know, risk-taking behavior in IT is probably, it's like creative accounting, right? Probably not such a good thing. It gets beaten out of us pretty early on, yeah. <laughs> 
taking those kinds of risks are hard for people and they're looking for some reassurance, like you said. One question I always have when you hear this is there's this kind of cultural dichotomy, oh, the old stick in the mud enterprises, uh, late movers versus startups that are out there and on the cutting edge, et cetera, et cetera. How much would you say is purely cultural? The enterprises have a lot more history, a lot more, you know, there's a system that works, so we don't want to mess with it. And the enterprises have the advantage of starting from a clean slate, a green field. How much of it is regulated industry? How much is purely cultural, not invented here? I don't trust this newfangled nonsense. What do you think is the proportion of those factors? I, I, I can't speak to the not invented here. I mean, there's there's going to be a level of that. Like, I'm thinking back to, I'm just going to go off on a tangent. So when I worked in the telecom industry, I was at Verizon and, no, sorry, this was Quest, Quest Communications in Denver. And I went to one of the, um, underneath the main city, there was, you know, the original switching center where all of the switching happened. Um, underground, and that was sort of their version of a data center. And I remember the gentleman who showed me around was so thrilled to show me, you know, literally the card he put in to get the DSL working in homes throughout Denver. And he didn't want to do it in an automated way at all. Like he didn't want anything automated, right? So there's going to be that level to which, um, and I do see this um, where there are customers who just prefer the way they do things and they don't want to script things, they don't want to automate them. Um, But regulation has a huge role to play. So the kinds of customers who are interested in some of this cloud security um, tech are actually, it's not just the kind of big enterprises, but it's also like fintechs, like especially the blockchain intersection, like anybody who's working on something tied to blockchain or, you know, what blockchain is becoming with digital assets in the fintech space or um, anything of that nature, uh, even healthcare data that's being shared. Like, they also need this kind of security, right? Like they are also concerned because they're dealing with regulatory industries and they also are trying to sell to large enterprises that require those things from them. Yeah, I think that's the aspect that often gets forgotten. There's a lot of this isn't someone just being a stick in the mud because, but it's driven by their customers' demands. Their customers expect a certain type of service, a certain type of auditability, a certain type of visibility into you're not just making this up as you go along. You're you're a grown up that I can do business with. There you go. And I guess like I don't know, Zach. I mean, you've been in the startup world. Do you feel that? I mean, it's startup in the networking space. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I you know I see that a lot at utilities as well. I'll add that to the list of what you're talking about. And, and you're absolutely right. I mean, it's um, and I think the cloud providers see it. I, I was going to ask you about that. I mean, I know they're trying to 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 make that move on prem to try to get get close to that data, but it's still a shared platform in, in many respects. But um, yeah, I think that's that's a great analogy you had. I I do agree. I think the thing that happened in the when x86, let's call them lower risk workloads, moved to cloud like a few years ago, and we all lived that together. Dominic and I absolutely directly lived that together. Um, one of the interesting things that was sort of unspoken, and I'm waiting for Mike to scream about it, was. There, for a lot of organizations, the cloud they chose was actually more secure than whatever their local IT team was doing. And nobody really wanted to admit that perhaps it actually was more secure and more reliable, even in that more nascent form, 
um, partly because there's a reticence to accept um, and own the uh, issues and little foibles that might happen in house. They're not well broadcasted. I'm, I'm waiting for Mike to take my head off here. <laughs> no, it's it's absolutely true. I you know I, I couldn't agree more. But it depends how knowledgeable your your people are, right? Because I think it comes back to like uh, Dominic's um, uh, point there about like startups, like some startups will break the rules or they'll comply to like the regulatory needs, but very, yeah, high level, like you could debate them and their, their argument would fall apart sometimes. And I think like for, for large enterprises, there's sometimes a fear that, you know, that fear is real going with some of the smaller startups. Yeah. You get speed, but what are you compromising? I think that that's always a question where I think, um, you know, big enterprises want to deal with big enterprises for a reason that they understand. But there is also like the incumbent always has a bit of, um, um, yeah, the, the incumbent is always like the, the new, the new player has an advantage, right? And, and it's hard for companies who have been established to kind of keep up and follow with that, that mindset. And it's the same thing with like moving to the cloud and, and what you're going to use and, and, what you're really looking for in, in that move. I think Zach put it like when Zach talks about like on-prem cloud, I mean, yeah, I, I joke about it all the, all the time. Right. But that's like the safe way to say, yeah, I'm going to take this step. It's like near shore offshoring, you know, for companies that don't want to offshore and, you know, they're following the same, I, I feel like they're following the same playbook and you see it quite a bit from, from the other players, uh, at least that, how I feel and how I see it. Um, so yeah, it, it it varies, and it's 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 driven by fear, threats, and yeah, the knowledge you have in house is is also kind of challenging. Don't you feel that startups, though, Mike, would actually have a leg up since they they are startup? They're starting from scratch, clean sheet of paper. I would think they have a, a leg up. I I think they do, but there's always a a risk factor of yeah, what's going to happen to them long term, and are they really dotting all the i's, crossing all the t's, which. Yeah, I don't know how you guys feel, but some, sometimes there's a worry that they're not, right? I think it depends, too, on the VCs. I mean, I, I can't I can see some of these VCs probably take it very serious as well. Or maybe they don't, but I, I I don't know. I guess I go the other way on that. I think that the startups probably focus on that more so than anyone else, and they're nimble enough, and their their products really usually start are born out of one product that morph into two or three or four, and depending on what they're doing, their portfolio widens. I think... Um, I think it depends. And I think, it, I think you're right. I guess it depends on the resources. Are they focused on that early on? Um, you know, we were, Dominic and I were at an AI ops startup and, you know, Dominic, I'm not sure security early on was a focus. So I guess I can see your point there. Dominic, what do you think? Well, but we had the benefits then of uh, not dealing with technically sensitive data. Uh, so monitoring telemetry is on the vast majority of that is not sensitive in any way. Sometimes you may accidentally run across a log entry that exposes something, but it's not the normal situation. Usually it's just a number that you care about, a metric. But when you are dealing with confidential data, yeah, it's a different thing. You do worry that the startup that has to make revenue this quarter or else, and then, mm, what corner can we cut? So this is one that nobody will notice, and then we'll fix it next quarter. We'll have time then. Well, I'm also, we're also worried about like the people, right? Like We're worried that they're like, well... Joe, 22 years old, is super reliable. He can have super admin rights on this system. Like, I mean, what could he possibly do while drunk in a bar? For some of those new companies, like if they're using anything related to blockchain, then you've got to be focused on and care about immutability too. Because like, 
what of your mistakes are also written forever. Corrupted, right? So I, I feel like, um, you know, part of what we've been or I've been working on is trying to commercialize uh, something called confidential computing, which is really about, you know, kind of to the point around assurance. It's how do you get to total privacy assurance where um, you can leverage. Uh, so this is where I, I get geeky. There's a technology called uh, trusted execution environments. Um, which is just a fancy way of saying that you're putting your data or applications or workloads into, um, you know, some kind of partition where it's kind of locked out and nobody can access it. Um, There's a component of a uh, keep your own key in there too. Um, But the, but the objective really is to be able to uh, enable data to be used, um, you know, and, and secured at rest in motion and now in use. And the in use part was the part that was like the Holy grail, which could never really be done before. Um, but I think what's happening now is like all this data is moving around, um, you know, in between clouds, um, in between cloud and on-prem, and then even being shared, like uh, shared data sets for AI, for example, um, the need to secure the data in use is becoming more important. So that's, you know, that's kind of the best of both worlds that I think the you know the technologists are really trying to implement uh, with this with this kind of technology. Yeah, and as close as the admin hole, the the problem was always you know I can I can lock the gates, but someone's got to guard the gates, and then you get into who guards the guards uh, territory. And there've been all these different approaches. At my job at MongoDB, we have field level encryption, which is the same kind of idea. Even the admin of the database doesn't see the plain text even while they have full access to the database to do all the things that they need to do for administrative reasons. And so I think this starts, this sort of granular permissions approach and philosophy is starting to get a lot more interesting, uh, both in terms of shared platforms. So going back to what we were saying, reassuring people about using the cloud because they're these technologies that give them that extra level uh, of security, even from potentially the operators of the cloud itself, even if Joey, the 22-year-old, leaves uh, his YubiKey in a bar one night. <laughs> and uh, sorry, Joey. He's going to do it. He just is. Yeah, no, he, he just did it last night. He did. <laughs> there's some companies thinking in that manner, but there's a lot that are not. Like, let, 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 Let's face it, I, I think there's a lot that are not. And I think if if I look at like the cultural aspect, I, I think it's really considered in Europe. Um, I think it's a bit more considered here. It's not considered at all in, in APAC, right? And I, I think there is a very geographical approach to to confidential data based on where you are. Well, there's that trade-off, right? In APAC, in, in general, not just APAC, right? AI, what is AI? It's all data modeling. So you need data. So there's this trade-off of security and data. You yeah. know that we talked about it, Mike, and it's um, you have to figure out what you're what you're aiming for. And I think Korea, you said something uh, wonderful, and I, I love the term because I've used it is crown jewels. I mean, you have to just, I guess, maybe the thing is, is we're looking at it not wrong, but we need to think about the way Priya has put it is, what are your crown jewels? What do you absolutely need to protect? Because you know, sometimes you can go overboard. I mean, I used to get frustrated with security. I used to absolutely just get frustrated. Everybody secure everything and. Uh, when I was at Cisco years ago, I was uh, an, an SE, and I uh, was a general SE, and this was years ago. And security team, I don't think they liked me too well because they wanted to position a product called ICE. And it was uh, identity, you know, security engine, whatever. And I would say, 
why do you need to protect a printer? Why do I need to put that in there? Why do I need to put this in there? Like, why can't I just put the data in the data center in there? And, and I didn't like positioning it because it just, you can get so, I hate to say this, but some security people will get so paranoid. And, and um, I, I don't know. I just think there's this fine line, you know? So yeah, I mean, how secure do you want to be and how secure do you need to be or willing to be? Right. And I mean, talk about that. I mean, you think about data, like we share personal, potentially sensitive data publicly. <laughs> and doesn't seem to bother people. I mean, I ran a survey two years ago about consumer privacy attitudes around the world. We surveyed it in 10 countries, and we found that the vast majority of consumers understood that their data was being used by somebody else and that they had no control over it. And they kind of got that, but they also wanted, like, they said that they would be willing to pay more uh, for a company that gave them better security. Um, and they would even be willing to revoke um you know, using a company if uh, if they didn't give them the security they wanted. So the users understand it. You know, they get that their data is being used. They really and I do. think there's been an acceleration of that as well. I don't know if you saw the story. We'll put a link in the show notes for the listeners in case you haven't. Uh, Signal, the encrypted yep. messaging company, <laughs> they tried to buy Instagram and Facebook ads that disclosed in the body of the ad what the ad knew about the viewer. So say, you are a yoga instructor in Brooklyn. We believe you've recently broken up with your significant other and you're looking into getting a dog. <laughs> and people were freaking out about this. I, I actually use that, by the way, my family in uh, Greece. Uh, that's what they use now, but nobody's using They're starting to move off of WhatsApp. So it's kind of interesting that you say that. Um, so I'm actually in a personal dilemma right now. Should I pay the extortionate price for YouTube premium, put my money where my mouth is and cut off the ads? But it's a lot of money. And I'm not even paying the creators directly. I'm paying Google, and Google have enough money. I, I, I pay. I pay. <laughs> I, well, I pay the service, but I, I have my kids love YouTube, and they don't want to watch it. By the way, it's Telegram that they use now. It was Signal. Now that we're, I'm on Telegram, they told me to get on Telegram. But Priya said something that is absolutely true, and I hear it more and more. You know, when there's when we used to have family gatherings, and even now on the phone, I think there's this notion of people are just, I don't know if they're wore out or tired. They're just like, I don't care. They're going to get my info anyways. And, and I think now there's just almost a, a looser like view from individuals. You're right, Priya. I, I see a lot of that. I don't know if the other co-hosts see that, but I, I, I am. It's a trade-off between privacy, confidentiality, and, and convenience. Because I think the companies that take the data, I think they're giving me some sort of convenience. Like Google knows everything about me. That's great. Um, they can show probably my search results before I even type it into the search results, you know. Uh, Apple, my iPhone suggesting what apps to open because I haven't opened one app in a while and they know I open it every morning at 8 a.m. <clears throat> I think there's a, there's a convenience to that. And I think, you know, let, let's be honest, I'm willing to trade off the privacy and, and to get that convenience. And I think a lot of people have made that trade-off. Is it going to come back to bite us in the future? Probably. But yeah, I, I think it's um it's it's to what to what level are you ready to uh to give that up. So I think there's an element of what you know you're giving, right? So like I know I'm giving my Google searches and I know that if Dominic says, you know, have you seen that cute dancing quaka gif and I look it up, I'm going to get dancing quaka gifs in my Instagram feed forever, right? And I have accepted that as part of the transaction to get the first dancing quaka. I love a quaka. I just had to put that out there. Um, but but like the, the thing that creeps people out and continues to creep me out is that I can have a dinner conversation and say, hey, 
did you see those new shoes with the weird bows on them? And weirdly, Instagram seems to know that. And I'm like, I never Googled it. Did my friend Google it? Do they know by affinity? And and that's that moment where it flips from like, I understand you know me and thank you for your service to understand me and my deepest hopes and dreams to stop fucking spying on me. <laughs> right? And like, that's the moment. That's the flip that I think people get a little bit uncomfortable with. Right. And like, I actually get these messages from my mother. Like, I, I swear I only spoke on the phone about something and now I'm getting ads for it. Right. And that breaks people, I think. But Lilac, I think that's totally right. Because, you know, if you think about how consumer behavior has driven business tech, you know, like think about Apple phones in business 20 years ago, it's this that that emotion that you're saying is kind of what's going to finally drive consumers and to kind of demand better uh, better security and probably more responsible AI too for that matter and analytics because it's annoying. Yeah, exactly. I think that's the overlap between consumer and enterprise space is that visibility. So there used to be this idea just everything is locked up behind the armored door of the data center and. That's how we protect it because nobody can go in there without uh, without the key card. And this change to a new world, it's uh, it breaks that model completely. There is no perimeter, and so you have to think about what information is sensitive to disclose, what is not, what information could be deducted by a clever person from the information that I have disclosed, and therefore I should move my protection to to the other information as well. It starts to get are very complex, and it's no longer just a technical decision, where before security could be considered as the province of purely the sysadmin, the programmer, the DBA, a group of technical people. Now it's something that has human dimensions and legal impacts and a whole lot of other stakeholders are impacted inside and outside the company. And so it gets complicated and people have to think about it. And we see the rise of chief compliance officers and data privacy specialists and things like this. And uh, it was something that a few years ago when this discipline was beginning to emerge, I made fun of because what it tended to manifest as outside of those meetings was spreadsheets and checklists that the actual technical people would have to go and check up on by hand or often through scripts whose actual adherence to the the intent of the checks was hard to check because the people who wrote the check, the policy, couldn't read the scripts, and the people who wrote the scripts couldn't really understand the policy quite often, and so it got complicated. And so the emergence of these, these technologies bring it full circle that make it possible to give a real-world manifestation to this differential privacy and granular privacy and security are very interesting in closing that gap that has existed between the the intent and the reality, let's say, of these policies. That's exactly why IT is becoming everybody's job now. Because like, if you think of a project to either launch an app or do something with data or... You know, you have so many people in a room now when you're when you're talking about those or in a virtual room, let's say, where, you know, legal might be sitting there with you and, and product folks. And and I think it gets really complicated because they're not I think everybody understands the importance of what's being done and not making like somebody go rogue and, and do it and, and trying to catch up later, because the catch up later, uh, especially when on a large enterprise could be quite uh, 
expensive. Are quite yeah, expensive, public, impacting. embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So, and I think there's uh, there's much more acknowledgement of it. So people are becoming more savvy to this, and and so on and so forth. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Uh, they, it's not like the old days when your website, you know, was defaced and you were financial. It was a big deal. They're just paying money now to get out of it. I mean, I I know for a well, I know for a fact, I, mean, I won't say who, obviously, but they're, they're, and it's all over the place. Healthcare institutions that have been, uh, you know, ransomware and they're, they're paying hundreds of thousands of dollars. I mean, even, you know, even FBI, when they go research these things, they're forensics teams and stuff, right? I mean, they're advising a lot of these, these places to go ahead and just pay the money. So it's happening. We're just not hearing about it, but it is happening all over the place, everywhere. And that's where we get back to the crown jewels. <laughs> yes. Ex- well, exactly. No, exactly, Priya. So, so, Mike, I guess I hear what you're saying, and it makes sense, but something is still broke. You know, um, you know, when I was at AFTRA, I, focus, I, mean, I still focus on this. I always tell people day two operations is broke. It just does you know, we need to think about day zero, think about it differently. I feel like something is still broke here, and there's an opportunity, and this probably it's happening, I don't know, for some startups or somebody to kind of disrupt this space because it's, it's <laughs> still not working. There's still ransomware attacks everywhere. People are paying yeah. money. It's defense in depth. You have to make it easy for people to do the right thing. It's one thing to say IT is everyone's job. And there's certainly something to that. We were talking about it uh, last week with Rachel. No, week before last with Rachel Chalmers and talking about how to bring more humanities into STEM uh, and not just the reverse, which is what people tend to focus on. We need to teach more people STEM. It's like, yeah, they also need the context. So Absolutely teach more people STEM, but also give them the context to to know know what to do uh, with these skills. But on the other hand, we also need to design systems with the understanding that people are busy. They don't have time to go and read through 157 configuration options and what each one means and how they interact with each other. Uh, we need the, the default path to be safe and secure and private. And then people can go and open doors as and when, and if they need to do that, they will then be in a position to figure out how to do that. I don't know. I feel like Priya, might, you might have some thoughts on this because it feels like some of the cloud vendors are sort of basically saying, I'm going to give you 150 configuration options. And with those, through the power of magic and your brilliance, you will be able to configure a secure and compliant instance. And, you know... If- what I see is 150 foot guns. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Different yeah. Calibers. But, you know, it's not me. It's not on me as the cloud vendor to do that. You've got to check all the boxes, right? Because you have the power and the expensive person to do that. And, like, I feel like that shift of burden... I understand as a cloud vendor why you'd want to do that, but I feel like that puts the burden upon a less capable, just by virtue of the fact that there's not the human at a lot of these companies, at a less capable place to to maintain compliance and privacy. I mean, yeah, that's totally fair. And I think that's part of the strategy of, you know, what I've been working on is taking the hardware platform and adding security at the hardware level so that you know when you have an application that is in the cloud so the heart if the hardware is embedded in the cloud and the application is in the cloud you know that application inherits the security levels associated with the hardware um, so there is no you know yes there are some controls that an administrator has to put in place but it's relatively simple and it's kind of one of these things where it's like one and done you know um, so yeah the usability matters a lot um, because the harder it is to use and configure and you know implement, the less likely people are to use it. Yeah, and the people trying to circumvent that then gets much riskier, right? And and I think there's where 
everybody has this like you know, this risk management piece to do. And I bet you there are companies, and I've seen it in in kind of use cases at other places. When you when you hear about what they're doing, yeah, there's some companies that have a much larger risk appetite uh, than potentially you know where I am and and other companies, and that that's that's always shocking. And I think yeah, it, it must happen where yeah, you guys as vendors sometimes are are a bit shocked too. I would imagine in, in some of the risks that some companies are are, are willing to take, but. Hey, I, I think they need to manage it themselves. You just hope the right people are informed in making those decisions, which maybe is not always the case. Mm. People, always a problem. Yeah, we see <laughs> the results of when customers don't manage their environments properly, and then you know you get these um, security issues or other issues that come in, or just you know over time people just haven't set it up properly. They let it go, and then something happens. So yeah, it happens all the time. Excellent. So now that we've solved IT security, encryption, blockchain, <laughs> all of these things over the course of a half hour conversation, I know this is fascinating stuff. And I think I think it is exactly the right moment to be talking about it because we are in a moment when people are paying attention again in a way that for a few years, I don't think it was quite as much at the forefront of everyone's attention. And so I hope that continues and we get these uh, differential security approaches just built in and embedded in our technologies. But changing pace for a moment, Priya, you have more than just a tech marketing string to your bow. You're telling us that you, you finished writing your book. Do you want to tell the, the listeners a little bit more about what that is? Because it sounds super interesting. Yeah, thanks for that. Yeah, so I just finished writing a fiction novel. I'm hoping to get it published um, next year. So if anybody wants to follow me on that journey, I'll, I'll leave my um, social media link uh, at the bottom of this. But uh, yeah, it's a book about a woman who is an Indian American like myself, who ends up quitting her job and going to a yoga ashram in India for six months. And uh, what she finds there is not what she expects. So it's a little bit of travel, uh, a little bit of uh, mystery. I kind of uh, liken it to being sort of a mashup of the Da Vinci Code and eat, pray, love. Um, it's just fun. I haven't actually. I know of eat, pray, love, but more from jokes and memes. So I, <laughs> I, that's, I, I, Dominic. that's fair. That's yeah. totally fair. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those books you either love or hate. <laughs> what yeah. made you decide to write a book, Priya? Uh, that is a great question, Mike. Um, I think I was just bored. This was obviously before having a kid and being married and I was just bored. And I, I think kidding aside though, what really happens like the, the impulse, the creative impulse is you stop being interested in reading other people's books. You can't find a movie that you find interesting. You don't want to read somebody else's book. You're like, it's just not hitting exactly what I want to, you know, put my time into. That's the impulse that kind of drove me to write the book. Um, was like, I, I, I kind of want to get lost in the story, but I, I can't find the one I want to read. So interesting. And then, and then Excel, Microsoft Excel can be your friend uh, as a way to organize thoughts. Um, so if any of you listening or any of you on the podcast have any aspirations of writing a book, uh, Microsoft Excel is your friend. You can just literally call out in a you know, series of rows. How does the book flow? You know, what are the chapters? And then you can use the columns to indicate, you know, what are your characters doing? Uh, what are the themes you want to cover? Uh, so it's actually a great tool. 
um, to sort of plan out a novel. I have to say, I follow a bunch of writers on Twitter, and sometimes they do talk about writing tools. I don't think I've ever heard one of them mention Excel. <laughs> yes, but on the I... other hand, that's fully on brand for Excel. I always say, you know, for any given category, Microsoft is almost certainly the top vendor by volume because people misuse Excel for whatever purpose it is instead of the dedicated tools. So I'm not saying this is a misuse. I could actually kind of see that now you mention it, but. Wow. Yeah. Unexpected that one. <laughs> it's a grid. I just haven't found that tables are as effective in Microsoft Word. So if anybody from the office team is listening, that's my feedback. <laughs> I can do like a whole repositioning campaign. Excel yeah. is your creative no, writing like, tool. <laughs> tables in Word do not allow you to do the same kind of formatting for text as you can have in Excel. Totally agree. That's true. Super on board with that. Also, let's talk, talk about Google Sheets because I don't even know what that is. <laughs> uh, we'd have to invent whole new levels of adult tag for the podcast if we got on that topic. I went on a journey with Google Sheets. <sighs> so, so let's put it let's put it this way: if Excel stopped working, some companies would completely stop working. I think that's oh, yeah. true. But Lilac, I'm surprised you didn't go into mind maps. No. Oh my god! Cannot <laughs> talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like a mind map is like my brain is spaghetti and now I'm going to expose that to you and you're going to have these. My only takeaway from that is my, you're a disorganized thinker. Like that's all I've got. And that would be the benefit of Excel because I do every couple of years, I try mind mapping all over again. And I realize I end up spending more time futzing with the mind mapping tool than actually doing the mapping of the mind. And so it doesn't work for me at all. And Excel would be good for that. Get out of the way. It's like the way when I'm mapping out a presentation, I go back to sticky notes, like post-it notes on paper, because that way I'm not messing around with, should it be this gradient or that gradient? <laughs> and also like systems diagrams. I do system dynamics diagrams, um, which are like a 20-year-old skill that we learned in school, but just sort of the causal relationship between things. I'll go in and do that. I won't do the math behind them because I'm not crazy, but... Like, oh, I see how these things are connected and why the problem is in this in this game. I'll draw that out. Um, and then I'll never show it to anyone because if you're not, if you don't know how to read those, then you just think that somebody's absolutely had some sort of brain aneurysm. So I, I write on the back of envelopes. I write on the back of like papers on the printer. So that's me, right? So I'm not going to pretend to be this super organized because you know what? I write on anything I can write on. And sometimes I'll save that, that for a while. So I'm glad everybody here is so organized. <laughs> Get all their all their stuff together because I don't. don't. Yeah, there's a reason the webcam doesn't point at the surface of my desk. Don't worry about it. (laughs) I I I buy index cards, but let's not go there. No, I've done that too. I I did that. Yeah, no, I'm a little more organized than that, but still, it's um, it's a struggle for sure. Interesting. So that's how tech marketing people who started as developers write books. They use Excel. <laughs> we learned something. And I have it. an MBA, so that's probably where the love of Excel. Oh, there's a third thing. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, no, I did use Excel a lot in my first my first job. I was doing a lot of like database conversions, and you know that was yeah, misusing Excel. data back and forth. Yeah. <laughs> well, this has been fascinating. So for the listeners, Priya has sent us a bunch of links to various resources. So if you're interested in learning more about confidential computing and what IBM's doing in that space, as well as uh, something we didn't touch on in the conversation, which is homomorphic encryption, which is uh, also super interesting for this uh, general area, I'll drop those links in the show notes so you can follow up with those. 
We will also have uh, Priya's social info in there, including her personal website where you find out more about her book. This has been super interesting. I really do hope that, uh, as I say, more of what we've talked about comes to pass. And with that, I think we'll thank you, Priya, and uh, thank the listeners. You can find out more from the podcast and on Twitter at Roll4Enterprise with the number four, or it's our LinkedIn page, and the show music, which is playing under my voice now, if all has gone according to plan in the edit, is by my good friend Renato Podesta, and there's a link to his website in the show notes also. Thank you, Priya. Thank you, everyone. Talk to you all next week. Thank you. Thank you.